Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Chiyo Dogu. So in this segment of the Summer Personal Development Series, I'm talking to Jason Troy. Jason is the author of the book, Social Wealth. He is known as the CEO's secret weapon. And on this episode, we talk about how to build your social capital so that you can have a very positive experience in your professional life. Jason is a master at this. He's called in by many CEOs to help them figure out what is wrong with their organizations, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships and development. And he fixes those problems so that CEOs can actually get the best results from themselves and from their teams. So I'm pleased to have him here on the show today to teach us this crucial skill set that we all need to become better executives and better performers and of course if you're listening to this on the beach somewhere or if you're listening while you're on vacation or wherever just send me an email and let me know what you thought of the episode i'd really love to hear from you i've heard from a lot of other listeners about how they're enjoying the personal development series and i'll be bringing more episodes like this so that while you're on vacation chilling and sipping your Mai Tais, you can also get some knowledge that you can, you know, use to differentiate yourself when you get back to the workplace and stand out like a boss. So that's what I'm here to do for you today. Just bring in awesome guests that'll teach you what you need to know in less than one hour. And then you take the knowledge, you take the wisdom, you take the skill set and experience and go rock it at your place of work like a boss. So without further ado, I'm going to Lean back and transition the interview to speak with Jason Troy. Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Jason Troy. Jason is an executive coach who works with corporate executives, rising stars, and entrepreneurs to help them maximize their leadership potential. He's a best-selling author of the book titled Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships. He was the featured speaker at TEDx Wilmington in 2017, where he debuted his breakthrough team-building game, Cards Against Mundanity. Finally, he's also the host of the Executive Breakthrough Podcast, where he brings game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and experts to share their breakthroughs and breakdowns for business success. He's known as the CEO's secret weapon, so I'm pleased to have him on the show today to tell us a little bit about himself, his business, his experience, and of course, all the projects and exciting things he's up to. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Great. So, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you get to become the CEO's secret weapon? Well, like every entrepreneur, it's a very windy road with a lot of ups and downs. I went to graduate school and I was going to law school and getting my master's in communications. And I thought that I was going to be a lawyer. And during my second year, I was interviewing for um, summer internships in New York City. And I was told, because I spoke to a lot of third-year law students about how to maximize these interviews, how to do the best job possible, you know, backgrounds and some of the people that I was interviewing with. And everyone told me at the end to throw out some really easy question for the interviewer that, you know, they could talk positively about their experiences in a law firm. So at that time, I asked a very naive question 
Um, I didn't realize how naive. And I asked them, so, you know, are you happy? Mm. Right. And I thought that would be an easy question for them to answer back. But what I found after, you know, 30 some interviews, it was the longest uh, question for me to ask them and them to answer it. There was always a long pause in between. Mm. And I knew at that time, and their eyes would dart around. I mean, it was just, it really stood out after a while when I kept asking the question. And the same things happened from a senior partner level down to an associate. So, you know, at the end of my interview stretch, I realized that th- these people weren't happy, right? They didn't really enjoy what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They were just doing it. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to have a career and a life where I'm just going through the motions because I think that's what I should be doing in my own life. So, you know, after a lot of soul searching and doing a lot more research and asking questions, I decided to go out to Silicon Valley and got out there during the gold rush. And, you know, I got to work with a lot of great people like Steve Jobs at Pixar and Apple. I got to work at Yahoo when they bought Mark Cuban. I got to work in a lot of really, you know, big startups. I got venture capitalists, angel investors, I mean, well-known people. And so it was a great opportunity to really be, you know, in a place that was happening um, and learn from some great people firsthand mm-hmm. and, and watch these businesses grow over time. And so, you know, at some point I decided to, I was there for seven or eight years. I moved to Dallas and close to my mom. I hadn't really lived close to her since college. And I thought, you know, it'd be really good to be spending some time with her during, you know, her golden years. And yeah. she was still out and doing a lot of things. So I moved here and, you know, it was, I didn't know anyone when I moved here at all, but I had restarted things so many times that I thought, okay, I'll just go, go it all over again. And I was working in technology again and I started to just build a really good social life and people started to come to me um, and ask me to help them, you know, meet people and do different things. And I started to put it together. I thought, well, maybe I have a business here. Um, and I pitch someone who had an existing lifestyle coaching business on in the concept of building a great social life. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take this super small nugget. I'll see if I can sell it to someone else. There's no cost for me because I'll just partner with them and everything. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I go back to doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Well, it worked pretty well. And I was thinking as I was doing this in the early stages, I wanted to do more business related things than just social life. And I realized that, you know, there was a much bigger opportunity out there uh, to go in the business world with this. So, you know, like every, a lot of partnerships, I had a falling out with my business partner while I was working on my book, Social Wealth. And, you know, I decided that I'm just going to, you know, my job, it was just time to leave. And I just took the plunge and just started to work with people. And it's where I got where I am today. Mm. So from building relationships for personal growth, you transition into building relationships for business purposes. Now, how exactly, because I want to start from the very beginning before we dive into the book on a deeper level. So how exactly did you figure out that corporate executives needed 
the skills you were teaching in terms of making their workplaces great by developing their social capital? Well, I mean, essentially any business is made up of people, right? So, and as a leader, right, you get the most benefit and grow businesses faster by being a people manager and by being a great people manager. And so that means that you have to understand human behavior. You have to understand soft skills like empathy, um, like things like, you know, persuasion. You've got to have, be able to coach people, have difficult conversations, manage your emotions. I mean, all the things that you look into someone who is a great leader with people, be vulnerable, right? move into a lot of discomfort and uncertainty. Well, all of those things were essential skills that people needed um, that I had and that I had been doing Mm -hmm. through building relationships with people really quickly because that's one of the things that I learned how to do on a social level quickly was build relationships that would take people 10 interactions with someone. I could do it in one or two. And so I broke the curve on how in order to do that. And I thought, well, if I can do that in a business setting for people, I can help them be much better leaders and managers inside of their organization. And the only piece that I was missing that I didn't understand at the time that I started to learn was how to create behavioral change in the inside, right? How to do more self-inquiry or if you want to look at it like mini therapy for people, because people's blind spots and unconscious thoughts and patterns they had been doing their whole life were the, were the things that really sabotaged their success. And that's the things that I had to learn. So I learned from, you know, a lot of great people, including some therapists from people that are now on Oprah um, and I spent a lot of time and a couple of years investing a lot of myself to learn this. And so now, you know, I tell people that I can basically do what a lot of therapists will do in four to six weeks through massive behavioral change with people that would take them a year. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes a huge, huge amount of impact on their relationships because now the things that have happened in your life don't affect your external relationships, right? And an mm-hmm. easy example of how this comes, you know, and your so your self-awareness in building relationships is absolutely essential, right? It'll, it, it, your self-awareness is never greater than your social awareness. So if you don't have really good self-awareness, you won't be able to build relationships or you'll really struggle because you don't know yourself. And then you can't really know other people, right? And an easy example, I was working the CEO a few months ago. And one of his issues or his main issue was he didn't think his leadership team was performing as well as they could be. And that's pretty common request or challenge. The team is not operating at peak performance and they know that there's more that they can do. So, you know, I usually go in and talk to the team, the executive team in that instance, right? Really quickly, just get their thoughts on it to try to understand what they're thinking and what's going on, right? And they were, it's basically five or 10 minute conversations with them. Well, they all said to me essentially that he didn't listen to them. Mm. Right? He was not paying attention, right? Yeah. Well, if you go to someone 
who is successful and you and I went to him and said, hey, you know, your team is saying you're not listening. What that person would say to me is, well, Jason, they don't get it right. They're not fully committed. They, they don't understand all the problems. They're not fully engaged. Right. It, it's more pushing off blame onto other people mm-hmm. and not taking accountability for what's going on. So I learned the essential part of the process that I didn't do early on that I did later was go in and try to understand how people had orchestrated their lives, right? So one thing I learned was he's from a family of six, and the only way he got heard at the dinner table was to talk over people. And then his parents would pay attention to what was going on. And there were a few other instances like that. So the key is, is that I saw the pattern was that when he talked over other people, he got positive results. So he got that reinforced in his head. Mm-hmm. And so he just was following a pattern that he was getting a payoff on. Well, the issue now is that pattern no longer served him anymore, and it was sabotaging his success. And so when I sat down and after we went through some exercises and I got this information, I pointed this out to him and I said, essentially, you're killing 10 to 20 percent of your productivity every year. And in a company that's around, you know, a half a billion dollars, you're now losing somewhere between 50 million, 100 million dollars by not listening to your executive team. Right. And it's not because you're broken. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you failed. It's that the pattern that you've been doing your whole life is no longer serving you. And now you have a choice, right? We pointed the pattern. We've made the unconscious conscious in your, in right now. And so now the choice is, do you want to change or do you want to have this continue? Right. Mm-hmm. And you can see where this is headed if you don't change. And of course he said to change. And the thing about changing at that level too, is it's not hard because there are little things. There are things such as, talking last during his executive team meeting. So everyone could talk before him, right? They'd be things like when he goes in a one-on-one meeting, take a temperature check, which means ask, how's the person feeling, right? How are they doing? And allow that to dictate how the conversation goes, right? There's some small little things that people need to do. And then within a few weeks, everything turned around and everyone on his team was happier, more engaged. And he was seeing a lot of positive results happening from it. Right. So then when he was doing the relationship building things, he got exponential results, right? Rather than before he would be holding himself back because the things that were going on the inside were preventing him from building these closer relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. So that's, the key thing that I've learned over time and that people need to do is their self-awareness and the things that are happening internally is the first place to start. Mm. Now that brings us to like dealing with coworkers in the workplace, because when you talk about being self-aware, I think a lot of people in the, in the work environment are self-aware, are so self-aware to the point that they separate their lives. They don't bring in, their home life into their work life and as a result they don't have you know that many friends or people they they enjoy their company and work they just go to work do the job get paid and go home and then when they leave the office they become themselves again now how can executives listening to this podcast start to deal with that because i think that's one of the number one drivers of um 
when I say ill will or reduce productivity in the workplace, when co-workers don't get along and also when it goes up the line where managers, directors, partners, CEOs or people in the C-suite start, you know, putting negative pressure because they're trying to meet their own targets. And as a result, like this CEO you mentioned, they don't really consider the fact that the other person is going through something in their life. Yeah. And I think, you know, I always tell people now that I'm working with is that in today's world, you now have to manage people's personal lives and social lives as a manager. And that's changed considerably. And the reason that that's come about is the loneliness rates in the United States have gone from about 20% um, in the 80s to now they're at 40%. They're the highest rate they've ever been in the United States. And loneliness means you feel like you're lonely. And loneliness creates disconnection. You're not fully engaged. And so what happens there is people are finding their social lives at work. They're dating more in the workplace. I mean, everything is happening at higher and higher levels. And so what that causes as you're a manager is that you have to manage what's going on in people's personal lives. For instance, like if people, if someone's going through a divorce, like you need to support and help them because they're not going to be fully engaged and that's going to hurt their bottom line. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I was working with a CTO a couple years ago. In fact, I'm doing with someone else who's like a chief legal counsel in a big company and they're going through significant marital issues. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is, is they're not fully engaged and it's costing the company a ridiculous amount of money and they can't go to anyone. They're not getting a lot of support, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you get support, especially among your coworkers, right? And that is a lot of rank and file people that are below, especially, you know, if you're not the CEO, everyone else has a peer in the company that they can talk to, right? But people aren't, and they're not really sharing and getting support. So one of the things that I found doing research and how to build higher performing teams in people who go to work and feel more fulfilled, they're finding their purpose, they're a lot more successful, is when they can like the people that they work with, right? Yeah. And liking someone you work with is not the same as being friends with someone. It mm. means you respect them. It means that you understand some of their experiences. Mm -hmm. And that brings you closer together because think about it. Everyone is listening the people that you work with now and that you like, you treat them differently than the people that you either don't care about, so they're neutral, or people that you dislike. Yes. Right? Because the people you like, what do you do? You communicate better. You collaborate better. You go the extra mile for them. Right. You're more invested in their success, and also you'll compromise more. Yeah. You'll argue less. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the things. So if you can create a team – where you like people, you're going to perform significantly higher on it. And yes. as I was going around over the last couple of years looking at high-performing teams, um, and I talked to a lot of people that are on Forbes and Fortune top workplaces and friends of mine who've got great teams, the one thing I noticed on every team was people liked each other, and you could see it. Yeah. And then when you look at the research, Google did research – you know, a few years ago, and it was called Project Aristotle. And I encourage people to look up his study because it's a great study on how to build a great team. Because mm -hmm. Google is looking at how do I build a perfect team? So they hired 
researchers from the top institutions to look at their top 180 performing teams. And they interviewed hundreds of people and they looked at 250 different characteristics and factors um, and deep data on all of these teams to try to figure out what were the qualities and characteristics that could create a great team so they could basically model it, hire it, train people so they could up-level the organization as a whole, right? So they, they looked through all this data and they could not find anything, right? So people who were smart, went to great schools, were super high performers, you put them all in a team together and they didn't necessarily perform very well together. Hmm. So what they found was the only factor across all the teams, and they stumbled over this too, because one of the researchers was looking into a team and the manager said that he had stage four cancer and he may die. Hmm. And they saw the team performance went up significantly. So what they looked at the data then and found was psychological safety is the foundation and the number one factor and only factor across all Google's top 180 performing you know, teams. And psychological safety is a fancy word for being vulnerable, right? It's, it's getting to know people on a deeper personal level, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing about what they do outside of work yeah. um, and their challenges. It's being able to raise controversial ideas in front of other people and just ask questions without feeling like you're a fool if you don't get something, right? It's that simple, yeah. right? Teams that have that do significantly better because people in those places like each other mm-hmm. because they just know each other better. And I think when you find out that a lot of the times when you don't like someone, you actually don't know them, right? And mm. when you start to know them, you actually like and respect them because of their shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And you can create this really fast. And that's the thing that people don't really understand. So the other thing when I was doing research on this, I found was another research study. It was by Professor Arthur Aaron back in 1997. This is pre-social media. He was looking at you know, how do people build fast friendships? And there's an article in the New York Times talking about this study, um, and it's a famous study. Um, and he got people together, and one of the studies that he did was having people, grad students who didn't know each other, that were complete strangers, um, get into groups of two and ask each other questions. And over the course of 45 minutes, and that's it, 45 minutes asking questions, at the end of it, they measured how effective were the questions, what happened in the interactions, and 30% of the people who did this said the relationship they just created with the complete stranger, they felt closer to that person than the closest person in their life, Mm. which tells me and, they, and he's replicated the study dozens of times over the last 20 years, and it's still – the numbers stay the same. It doesn't matter if you put together people that are you know, different genders, different races, different religions. mean nothing. It all holds constant is because we just don't know the people around us mm-hmm. and not sharing and we're not showing up. Mm. And when you do that – you can change the course of teams, raise performance, raise retention, collaboration. I mean, they've done they've done studies that if you have a friend at work, of a good friend at work or a best friend, you're seven times more productive and loyal, right? I mean, yeah. right. There's all these other studies out there that confirm this. So when you're looking at building a team, whatever size it may be, maybe your company is three people. 
Maybe your you know, company is thousands of people. The key is, is that you've got to get people to start sharing more. And there are other ideas, like I'll have clients start up a meeting and they'll bring in a picture, right, of something that's meaningful for them. And they'll have 30 seconds to say what the picture is, why is it meaningful? And every time I have people do this within, you know, three or four meetings, people are excited to go to the meetings. It doesn't matter what level they are in the company either, either. It could be even senior executives down to anyone in the company, because they're sharing things, they know each other more, um, the managers in all those meetings, again, people are more engaged. Why? Because they get to know people and they're more excited about it because now they're creating something real with them and they're more invested in their success, yeah. everyone in the room, right? So when you start doing more things like that, you start to see immediate results in an organization to move all of your metrics in a positive way, very quickly. Uh, uh, you mentioned a lot there, but um, I think I'm going to pick one thing, which is when you mentioned being vulnerable with your colleagues at work, um, I've seen a situation where, you know, we're in a meeting, you know, after work, we're having food and drinks and everybody's sharing and, you know, just trying to do the team building thing and bond. And then somebody shares a personal story you know, just because they're in the group and they said a personal story that, you know, they felt, okay, I, I can trust these people. You know, they're my coworkers and they're in my team. And then it ends up being fuel for gossip. So that person now gets to hear the story he told to his teammates from another person in the company saying, oh, man, that sucks, dude. <laughs> what happened to you? You know, so um, th that fear... Is there that you know if you be if yes. you're vulnerable with people, it's going to become fuel for gossip around the workplace because more people that are outside that small group are going to know your business and they're going to use it negatively against you. So how can we um, mitigate that? Well, one, I think you've got to know the environment when you're sharing it, and as Right. And what material are you sharing with people? So one of the things that I encourage people in settings to do, like with the game cards against mundanity or in any situation, is you need to have the leader of the group start. Because when the leader of the group starts to share, right, it says to everyone else, it's safe to share because I'm doing it. And then people respect boundaries a lot more. They respect the group um, because the leader is showing you the way. Okay. I think that's kind of, you know, when you, when someone from the group starts it, it can create the same thing, but it's not as powerful, powerful. And it's not as fast. Um, and so in these instances, that's the key, right? And I think it's important. Uh, leadership quality to have in someone that's they need to show their vulnerability mm -hmm. to people in an organization um, to begin with, right? Because that's showing people courage. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, it's standing in front of people and telling them that you don't have all the answers, right? That you may have made a mistake and here's what you're doing about it and you're taking accountability for it. So, um, I think you'll find, but a lot of the instances where people have things where they become gossip means they overshared. Okay. They shared something that probably was not appropriate, um, may have been negative, right? And also, it didn't start from the right place, meaning you need to do it 
after the leader shares, or maybe you share that in a very small group of people with people that are your really close friends, not with people that you don't know very well. Uh, that's a very good point. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you've already talked about, you know, topic of leadership, sharing, being vulnerable, but let's get more deep into the subject of, um, you know, creating those conversations, especially having to do with um, leading and um, bringing out peak performance from your subordinates. I, I asked this question because everything always starts from the top. So I read your 12, your 12 Power Principles chapter in your book, and I, I, wa- I want you to share a little bit about that and how managers and leaders in companies can apply that to, to create a better, stronger team. Yeah, I think part of it, a lot of for leaders that they need to do is practice a lot of empathy mm. and listen. Because I think one of the challenges is when you don't know where someone's coming from and when they say things, then you're not really engaged. Because too many people, when someone else is telling them a story or sitting down and sharing, they're thinking about what they're going to say. Or they're thinking about what argument that they have in their head that they're planning out. They're not really 100% listening. They're not asking themselves, well, how is that person feeling? Why are they feeling what they're feeling? Why are they thinking that? What emotions are coming up? Because then you can better understand why that they chose the course of action and behaviors that they're exhibiting right now. And you have a much higher chance of convincing them of what to do next, right? It's what sale really great salespeople do. They're not sitting there going to a meeting with some sort of static plan. They're listening to the client and they hear where they're coming from. And then they move the conversation to where they're at and try to provide value and help them in whatever way that they can. And I find that that's one of the challenges from leaders, right? Is that you need to start asking the question, why? Why are you feeling like that? What's coming up for you in the moments? Like, how does it make you feel, right? More questions like that to exhibit what's going on and try to understand how they're thinking, right? Saying, so what were you thinking when you did this? Because then when you ask, when you seek to understand versus judge, you then can get to a much better place and help that person and show them how to get back to the path that you may want to get to or a joint path to move forward together. And I think as leaders, that's what most of them don't do very well, right? Mm -hmm. And they let their ego get in the way. Because they think that they're right. And I always tell my clients all the time, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> and you have to make a choice because you can't be – you rarely will be both. Yes. And if you need to be right is so great, what will happen is you will be successful because you'll work hard and you'll work long. But at some point you're in the ceiling and you'll alienate everyone around you and your results will plummet and people will leave. Mm. So – you have to change course and do something different. And I think that's how great managers coach people too and lead them is through more of that kind of discourse in leading them forward rather than putting down an agenda and putting down their fist and saying, you will do it my way. And plus, 
we all have blind spots, yes. right? We, you know, the average person has six to 7,000 thoughts running through their head and you're only aware of 60 to 70. And I think you need to understand that. And no matter what you do, you will have challenges in your current plan or vision and you need to vet those out. And the only way you do that is through sharing them with other people and getting feedback and then iterating on them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and and you aren't going to get people to invest in you and share and be creative, right. Unless they feel safe to do so. Mm -hmm. And you have to create that through psychological safety. That's why it's the most important attribute in any organization because when you look at people that are having creativity problems or innovation problems in a company, it isn't because of that. It's because the people don't feel safe to share. And so then they're not coming up with you with the ideas and they're not sharing, right? Because my clients have people coming up to them all the time and telling them things that are wrong in the company and things they could be doing better, right? Now, mm-hmm. you know, some of them may work and some of them may not, right? And you got to prioritize but they're getting the information because people feel safe to share with them and there's no reprisal. What happens in most organizations is the opposite, that people don't feel like they can come up and do those types of things, right? And if you're a manager in a company at whatever level, the key thing that's going to help you be more successful is creating team success because five people are smarter than you, right? Mm-hmm. And five working can work a lot more than you can. So if you motivate people and inspire them and care about them, which is really the key is caring, right? That's when we talked about liking people, Mm -hmm. caring is the most important part of trust. And when you start doing these activities like this, you show people that you care. And when you care, people will do almost anything for you, right? Because it's like when I've asked a lot of my clients, I'll go to people that work underneath them and I'll ask them, so why do you enjoy working for this person or what what do you like? Um, And almost always what I'll start to find when I go through – you know, the conversation and really dig deep is that people are not staying up to nine, 10, 11 o'clock working for their own personal success. The number one reason is they don't want to disappoint the person that they're working for or the yeah. company, right? Yeah. Disappointment trumps your own success mm-hmm. and make you work longer. And why do you not want to disappoint someone? It's because you care about them because that you know that they care about you yes. on a personal and professional level. Those are the people that those are the leaders that get the most out of the people that work for them. And again, it can be that you're working in a company of three or three thousand. It doesn't matter. As a mm-hmm. leader, you can do that very easily by just talking to people and getting to know people on a personal basis. Yeah. That's so true. But uh, what what I've come to find out in such situations is that in as much as, you know, people are working hard for people they like, sometimes it may turn out that the people they, they like and they're putting all that effort to work and to make them look good may not have enough say in the organizational structure. So maybe they are not good at um, the political Game of Thrones or yes. sometimes they don't have the weight in the executive meeting to say hey man you know this guy has been working so hard he needs a promotion or he needs a raise or he needs a bonus or something like that so in cases like that you know how can we help a manager who has a team that will go to hell and back for him but yet does not have that um same force in the boardroom how can we help that person become more forceful and become a presence to reckon with in the boardroom or in the executive meeting 
Well, I think one of the things, if you're working in an organization, to help the person that manages you is that when you try to help other people be successful across the organization, right? One of the things is collaborating with different business groups, with different leaders, right? You could eat, you could do this, right? That your manager has a boss. Mm-hmm. Well, you could sit down with that person and ask them questions and saying, you know, I'm just really interested as someone in this organization and I want to try to move it forward. Like, what is keeping you up at night? Like, what's on your prioritization? Like, what things are you concerned about? Because then you can start thinking about how to make your boss's boss successful, right? Mm. And then that will empower your boss, the manager, right? And I think as you find key people and ask them questions, you can better understand what are the challenges. And when I find when most people can do that, right, because when I go in, one of the things that's helpful when I'm working with multiple people is I can see the problems across the organization. I can see the gaps. Mm-hmm. I can see issues and challenges. And then you can come up with creative ideas and suggestions to help people, right? A lot of it is just you don't know the information, so you don't know what to do. Yeah. But when you can start taking into consideration like finding out the boss is worried about, you know, the sales team not collaborating with the operations team as much. Mm. Then you can come up with ideas to try to get them to work better together, right? And then it's a win for everyone. Mm. So I think you have to find the challenges and then find creative solutions. And you do that by meeting with a variety of people over the course of time and the, and the entire team as well. And then you can find problems, right, that no one's working on. Mm. You solve them, and then everyone looks really good mm. because you're proactively getting out there and making changes that no one told you to do. Mm. But it shows that you care about the organization and the people in it because you're doing it on your own, right? I kind of find I, – I call it with people like filling the space, right? Yeah. You fill the space – and then you're doing it, right? So in a situation where sales is not communicating with operations right now, you basically are, you know, the, ga- the, the person that puts both of them together, right? So you're unofficially, you know, the conduit or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then you can make that happen, right? And come up with creative ideas and get together um, and try some stuff out and see what happens, right? And then and if, that, and if you can solve that problem and make it better, now you create a significant win, not only for your manager, but for yourself and your team. And that makes everyone look good. So it's just, you've got to get much more creative and innovative out there. And, and, and it comes down to building relationships with people, asking questions, and then caring about what goes on around you. And then these things can get significantly better, right? And it's yeah. really not that much more time, right? Because you're not going to get any more than... 15, 20, 30 minutes with your boss's boss anyway. So it's yeah. not like it's going to take, you know, that much more time out of your day. Yeah. Um, and no one has time, right? Everyone complains, but you have to make the time if you want to be successful. So I find these are what people do to be much more successful and to change the course of their career and the people around them. And then you create lifelong friends with people too. Yeah. Well, that's a very great spot to leave this interview because I think after breaking it down like this, if you're not able to succeed with the information Jason has given us, maybe you need to get him 
personally to come help you out in your company. So Jason, before I let you go, we've really had a blast on the show, but I know you're busy and I want to be respectful of time. Um, tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, get the book, and of course, reach out to you if they want to learn more about you and what you do to help companies get great. Yep. So you can go to my website and it's jasontroy.com. Uh, the last name is T-R-E-U. Dot com. So it's Jason, T-R-E-U.com. It's pronounced Troy, but spelled T-R-E-U. You can get my free team building game, Cards Against Mundanity, um, there as well. Oh, that talk will, talk okay. a little bit about the game. I didn't, yeah, we so, didn't talk about that. So. Yeah, so I created this game, and I've now done it in hundreds of companies. I'm actually just talking to two people at Amazon who run pretty large businesses inside that are using it and love it. Mm, um, nice. So – what it is is that you sit in a circle of people. It's like cards against humanity, yeah. um, except they're game, they're questions for the workplace and to get to know people on more of an intimate level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just ask questions like if, you know, if you had one superpower, what would it be and why? And then there are more questions that are much more sort of intimate. Like if you had one year of your life to do over, um, which one would it be and why? And when you start sharing in a group of people, what you find is that you get to know the people in the group significantly better Mm -hmm. because you'll learn about not only the shared experiences, but shared emotional experiences. And that is something really powerful because it bonds teams really quickly. And what you'll find typically, too, is that you'll walk out of a a group session and you can do it with anyone from, you know, four to 12 people. Um, You'll walk out of there and you'll find someone who you now want to get to know on a much deeper level. Every time I talk to people who run the groups, every person has found one or two people, which that will make a significant difference in your productivity, engagement and everything else. And then, you know, at the end of the game. People go around in the circle and really quickly say three things that they've learned um, about different people. And then that public, you know, publicly declaring that also makes it that other people know you're engaged and listening and it makes a significant impact. And you can do this in, you know, 45 minutes or less with people. Um, and it, I find it can be uh, really powerful. And I created this thing. I did it on my TEDx speech. And uh, so you can just download it at cardsagainstmundanity.com or you just go to my website and get it. And then the last thing is my book, Social Wealth. You know, it's sold like 50,000 copies so far. You can get on Amazon. And it's a blueprint on how to build great business relationships and personal ones as well. It's a how-to guide. It's 125 pages. I took out all the fluff and just wanted to get down to the, you know, exact steps, the things to do, what to say, where to go, because people want to know specifics. And the book is loaded with specifics. Yeah, it does give you some high level things. But most of it is just telling you um, other information that I think will be really helpful as you go through this to build the relationships and, you know, create a life that you love. Great. And I'll link to everything you've talked about in the show notes once the episode is published. So Jason, thanks a lot for coming on the show to share your words of wisdom, your story, and of course, your knowledge about how to build more effective, better teams in the workplace that'll generate lasting success for businesses and business owners. Thanks for having me on.